Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. This podcast is an expression of our shared connection. We depend on you, our community of listeners, for support. Please go to mindpodnetwork.com/suryadas and you can either click on the donate button or bookmark the Amazon link. We get a small percentage of all of your purchases. Or you can go and sign up for a free trial with audible.com. Your support will allow Lama Suryadas to continue to illuminate the timeless Tibetan wisdom. So We've been practicing the view meditation and action of the great perfection, Dzogchen, especially the natural meditation, Tregchen, presencing, awareing, seeing through, being through. If you read translations of Tibetan books, Dzogchen books, if you can find any, it's usually translated literally as cutting through. But I prefer it's more like seeing through or just being through. Of course, it refers to cutting through solidity, cutting through attachments, ego, clinging, cutting through duality, and so on. Cutting through separateness, etc. Actually, Imho is the shortest uh, Dzogchen teaching, if we were going to like get back to basic principles. Imho is the shortest Dzogchen teaching. It means literally like wondrous or wonderful. Eureka might be not a bad translation because there's also a feeling of discovery in that kind of exclamation. Hard to define, you know, what does Eureka mean? What does Hallelujah really mean? What does Wow really mean if you take it apart? So Imaho is described as kind of the wonder, the inconceivable wonder that a child feels coming out of the vast steppes or plains, uh, you know, to imagine yourself in Tibet as a child with the, you know, yaks and not much else and living in a tent and no TV and no internet and etc. perhaps no books, I don't know, and coming into a Tibetan temple, which is the most psychedelicized, richly ornate, high church, Vatican-like church you can find, and you kind of, your jaw, the kid's jaw drops, like... You don't have time to think, what, what is that and what is that? You know, why does that one have a lot of arms and why is that black instead of white as it should be? Well, whatever your thoughts start to produce later, the more grown mind, but it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, I'm just translating from Tibetan. <laughs> Wonder, wondrous, amazing, which is the teaching of Dzogchen, of like how we appreciate everything. It's like, before we start to think about it and conceptualize with our jaded perceptions, knowing so much about everything, how it is and why it is and what it is, and as we think, you know, our entire karmic perception that defines our reality. Are you with me? I'm speaking precisely. Our entire karmic perception that defines our reality and how we experience it. So just this first jaw-dropping moment of wonder, as the Mahamudra saying is, first moment, best moment, only moment. As Trungpa called his first book of poetry, first thought, best thought, he wasn't really talking about thinking. 
He's talking about freedom, spontaneity, and wonder. That first moment is the authentic arising. After that, we conceptualize. It takes two to tango, to tangle. Just thinking is not the problem, but chains of discursive thinking tangle and tie us up and weigh us down. Mind-forged manacles, as the poet called it. Mind-forged manacles. The chains of discursive thinking becomes like barbed wire that ties us up and tangles us up and ties us down and weighs us down and drags us down. Just hearing is not the problem, but thinking about it and then judging perceiving and judging based on that, you know, as we see in the 12 interdependent links explained by Buddha, the Paticca Samuppada, dependent origination, 12 interdependent links. First is contact, like hearing, contact, feeling, such as liking or disliking, contact, feeling, perception, and then choosing what you're going to do about it. And then there's action. So those link up to make our karmic activity. If you cut the chain, you cut the karma. So in hearing, just hearing, as Buddha said, in seeing, just seeing, nothing to listen to and no one hearing it. So by extension, all the six senses are leveled or equalized that way, according to Abhidharma, Buddhist psychology. All the six senses are equal. In thinking, just thinking. Nothing to think about, no one thinking it. So first thought, best thought, only thought. Bead, bead, bead. Not stringing it together with your crazy glue of concepts and self-perspective, self-clinging. Not stringing it together and make it to a noose to hang you. A bead can't hang you. A thought can't distract you. If there's no you yet formed with the crazy glue of self-projection, of reference points, of karmic concatenation, cause and effect. One billiard ball has no ricochets unless there's something to bounce off of. So thus the notion of non-duality or oneness, so highly touted but hard to understand with our dualistic mind, because that's how concepts are, relational, good and bad. It's very hard to define hot without cold and vice versa, light without dark and vice versa. That's the yin-yang of things. So as soon as there's one, there's other, etc. So this is very interesting when we start to apply it in life and start to see how everything is so relative relative, interconnected, interdependent, subjective, all these different ways of explaining or thinking about it. Like a dream, not exactly a dream, but like a dream, dreamlike, fleeting, impermanent, selfless, ownerless, governorless, therefore dissatisfying, uncontrollable, impermanent, unreliable, therefore dissatisfying, the three marks of existence according to Buddha. Anicca, anatta, dukkha, impermanence, no self or no owner, and therefore dissatisfying, impermanent, therefore unreliable, dissatisfying, falls apart, dying, etc. Short-lived in the bigger picture, etc. But we need to observe this for ourselves. So that's part of our practice, of course, all of the Dzogchen traditions, I mean generally speaking is based on Mahayana Buddhism and Theravada Buddhism, you know, the root of Buddhism. The Three Marks, the Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Paths, Six Paramitas, etc., which we're not here to study, but I'm just mentioning that. To, we're not totally out of context. If we look at page 20, what were we just chanting? The Heart Sutra of Wisdom, Mahayana Scripture, one of the shortest sutras. 
I used to say this was the shortest sutra before I studied Buddhism, but then one of my scholarly colleagues, John McCransky, pointed out the shortest Mahayana sutra is actually the Ah Sutra. And I said, what the hell is that? And he said, I just told you, Ah. That's like a Sanskrit sutra, according to Mahayana Buddhism. Ah. I mean, what else do you need? Ah. It's kind of like Yimaho. What else do you need but that childlike innocence and wonder? That's why we love children so much, right? It's so untarnished, innocent. It reminds us how we used to be or how we could be or how things can be. Not just how with, again, our jaded, you know, schmutzig kind of windshield filtering everything through and keeping half or more of the light out because of our karmic obscurations, defilements, impurities, kalashas in technical terms, kalashas. The poisonous, greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy, the five kalashas, or five obscuring emotions. Hard to translate kalashas, good word to know in the original. Obscuration, conflicting emotions, defilements, negativities, impurities, these are all translations of the single word kalasha. So here on page 20, we have the short Mahayana Sutra scripture, Heart Sutra. And you can see here the roots of Zen, very popular in the Zen Chan schools. The roots of Zen, the roots of non-dual Buddhism, the roots of Dzogchen. We're not going to go through all this. We're not here to study this. I want to stay on view meditation and get to action tomorrow as we prepare to re-enter the, um, the, the other life <laughs> Sunday afternoon. You can see here where it says, oh, look, in the first paragraph, all of the five components of individual being are empty or subjective or not what they seem to be. Therefore, it transforms suffering and distress. It doesn't talk about exactly about purifying it or transforming it. Seeing through it, then we're liberated from suffering and distress, which is one of the... So people, some people say it's the main theme of Buddhism, the relief of suffering. And then you go on. The famous saying, form is emptiness, emptiness is form and so on. And in emptiness, how there's no, nothing is born or destroyed. Are you with me? There's no gain or there's no pure or stain. There's no gain or loss. There's nothing. There ain't none, but it's really something, ain't it? This great shunyata. It's not nothing. It's not just an empty room. It's like the sunlit room. It's luminous, cognizant, lucid, senseless openness. And not just in this emptiness, there's no eye or ear or sense organs and all that or color, but there's no ignorance and no end to ignorance. Well, there goes the Four Noble Truths. And no old age and death and no ending of that and so on. No suffering and no source of suffering and no path. But also even worse... Don't freak out, friends. No wisdom and no attainment. Uh, we like no suffering and no cause of suffering, but what about no wisdom and even worse, no attainment? Then what? What happens to our enlightenment project, our self-growth project, our self-help project? Here it says there's no self and it can't be helped. Having nothing to attain Spiritual awakeners or warriors, bodhisattvas live prajnaparamita, transcendent wisdom, with no hindrance. Where? In the mind. It doesn't say with nobody bugging them or nobody getting in their way or no diseases. It says no hindrance in the mind. 
In other words, hindrances are in the mind mainly. And without any hindrance, there's no fear. And far beyond deluded conceptual thinking attaining complete nirvana. So here we have the, like the roots of this leaving it as it is, non-dual, naked awareness, Dzogchen and Mahamudra type practice in the Mahayana Sutras. Furthermore, it even says, if you read the little print at the bottom, you know, this is truth, not deception. Therefore, just proclaim the mantra. And then what does the mantra say? And then you start proclaiming beyond, 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 and beyond all this stuff. Beyond the entire catalog of all one's worries and concerns and all the 84,000 dharmas and all the 84,000 kalashas and so forth. Beyond, beyond, and yet bodhi, awakefulness, swaha, wondrous, hallelujah, eureka. What a discovery, amazing. Eureka, we've struck it rich here, friends. This is true gold, not fool's gold. This prajna, this transformative, imminent gnosis, so-called transcendental wisdom, transcendent yet imminent gnosis. So this is the basis of our practice of non-doing, of not purifying. You know, in each stage of the yanas or the different approaches, or if you look at it historically, the development of Buddhism, there's the gradual, and then there's the sudden, and there's the tantric energy approach and integrative and so on. And even today, some commentators, not that I entirely agree with them, we're talking about evolutionary Buddhism, how it keeps evolving. Evolutionary enlightenment, you can read about it in Andrew Cohen's what is Enlightenment magazine? Probably not printing anymore. But um, very interesting. Not that I entirely subscribe to this, because in the timeless realm, Enlightenment, you know, first it isn't a thing and it doesn't evolve. You know, things evolve, species evolve, perhaps universes and spiral nebulae and galaxies evolve. I don't know if, you know, God or Dharmakaya or the true nature evolves, but um, everybody has their, you know, sort of skillful, their, their teaching, let's say, their, their way of trying to um, help leaven the loaf, leaven the loaf with a little yeasty seeds of wisdom. So this is the basis for our not doing practice, even though we're kind of doing something, but it's a subtle doing, undoing the habit of overdoing. How about that? Not just doing and being a human doing instead of human being, as they say. But this practice is more like undoing the habit of overdoing. That's why Pachwal Rinpoche, our guru's great grand guru, the great Pachwal Rinpoche, renowned as the enlightened vagabond because he vowed never to sleep inside, which in Tibet is quite a ascetic practice. And he, also, and he never accumulated stuff. He said, beyond action and inaction, the sublime dharma is accomplished. So that's a subtle point, which kind of stops your mind. Then what? So maybe you just have to surrender or let go or give up or give in or allow. And so this is like the basic teaching of Imaho, of wondrous, of like, ah, 
before you start getting all complicated and memorizing all the lists of Buddhism or all the world religions and oceans and country capitals, before you start evolving your whole mental structure, you know, which is fine in terms of being a socialized human being and intellectual. But we're talking about something else here, the spiritual realm, not whether you're literate or illiterate. I'm sure there have been plenty of fully enlightened, illiterate people in the world. So thus we have, you know, for example, we talked about the marvelous pithy instructions of the Chokshakshi, the four great leaving it as it is, is the supreme restings, the four great drops, droppings, the four flops, view or outlook or perspective. How about that? Like the sky, just open, aware, luminous, with room for everything, excluding nothing. Leave it as it is. The bigger framework, not trying to fit everything into your, one's narrow path or one's narrow view or one's narrow church building or something. The view like the sky or the great perspective. Outlook. Worldview, kind of wealth and shawl. Where you're coming from, not just your optic situation. And the meditation, this leads naturally to the meditation of non-meditation, getting used to it, leaving it as it is. And it's perfect unfolding as it is, whether it's fast or slow or quiescent or active or noisy or whatever, allowing, equanimous, seeing through appearances even while we see them and how they function and interdepend not being taken in by the dreamlike apparitions, by the sitcom or movie on the screen, by the Halloween costumes, by emptiness dressed up in drag and all of its phantasmagorical forms. The meditation of non-meditation, not having to close our eyes or, or be in a quiet place even, just sort of one with everything beyond oneness, just the bigger framework has room for everything. And second, the meditation, and third, leading to spontaneous proactive Buddha activity, not reactive karmic activity. Reactive selfish or self-oriented, self-centered karmic activity. Proactive Buddha activity in accord with circumstances and needs of beings. Just like the ocean only waves if there's winds and reasons to wave. The ocean doesn't wave because it feels like waving. Waves are made. That's karma, interdependence, causation. Waves are not particularly made by the ocean, right? Thank you. So similarly, that's why they say in Rigpa there's no arising, in the Buddha mind nothing ever happens, and yet here we are. It doesn't mean not thinking or not feeling or, you know, even no suffering is an exaggeration. I'm sure you all know from reading the Buddha's life, it's very easy to read. Buddha had a headache one day. Poor guy. I mean, after he had become fully, you know, enlightened. So he had a body. I guess he had a head. So he had, a, oh, and he, has, he had a, a, a following. So he had a big headache. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the results. Leave it as it is. The fruit. Not to be improved. Not to be, you know, I don't know what. Sold, advertised protected, hidden, just leave it as it is, enjoy it. It's all, Trump Rinpoche brilliantly called it self-secret. 
it's, it's obvious to those with eyes to see, otherwise it's, it's hidden, self-secret, right before our eyes. So the practice of natural meditation, natural awareness, integrating into daily life, not just sitting, not just closing our eyes and looking inside and so forth, but gazing evenly with all of our six senses, facing everything with this imho or wondrous attitude, wonderment, Bonchampa calls it in one of his great trilogies. He has a whole, one of the whole, one of the books is called uh, Wonderment. One's called The Inherent Freedom of Mind, one's called Meditation and Focus, and one's called Wonderment, the third one. Isn't that marvelous? Just wonderment, like coming into that psychedelic temple for the first time out of the snowy, vast, empty steppes of Central Asia. You don't even know, speechless, inexpressible, marvelous, imaho. So that's the simplest Dzogchen teaching. And that's why my own teacher, Tukur Gim Rinpoche, is this oldest son, Chikinima Rinpoche, who still lives in Nepal and is the abbot of the Big White Monastery there, as they call it, Karning Shedripling, the Big White Monastery, Chikinboda. Chikinima says, this is how you practice um, Mahamudra, he said, because he was more of a kagyu, but, but this is how you practice Mahamudra and Dzogchen. And I know you can't see because there's a table here. And he went like this. My translation is, like a bird electrified on a high wire. Ah! It's a short but very intense practice. Moment, you know, time. Ah! This moment, only moment. <laughs> ah! It's kind of like Aflac, but more one syllable. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Some translators say it's eyes as big as saucers. You know, which it makes a point. Not eyes closed looking in, not eyes down like in some meditative styles, you know, trying not to be distracted, not eyes slitty like Venetian blinds, you know, not like Karmapa's eyes, you know, one looking in and one looking out. <laughs> like, ah, flat. <laughs> kind of, I don't know what that, what's that bird, a goose? Kind of just goosed and you go, ah. By the juice, the juice of it, of being, of itness, of that moment. And not that moment, this moment, every moment, any moment. The alarm clock of reality is always ringing. When are we going to take the pillow off our ears and wake up? Not keep hitting the whatever five-minute button. What's it called? The snooze button. Yeah, no, snooze. I got to snooze a little longer. Then I'll feel better. If snooze a little longer, then I'll feel better. That's a good path. <laughs> if snooze a little longer, then I'll feel better. <laughs> to this day, my college roommate likes to tell this story. He lives in California, fortunately, so I don't have to hear this every day anymore. <laughs> Only once a year or twice a year of, of how he got up and he got my, grabbed my alarm clock and threw it against the wall and smashed it because I kept doing that every morning with the, the snooze button. <laughs> he threw it against the wall of our dormitory wall and it just went <laughs> And then he went back to sleep. <laughs> anyway, isn't that our life? Thus, this brings us to the practice and like one of the last points I want to um, 
transmit in this view and meditation part of the week um, is Rangsha Rangro, the, the, the practice, the Dzogchen saying of uh, by itself arising, by itself liberating. Like the waves in the sea, Rangsha Rangro. Just seeing things arising and releasing. People call it self-liberation with a hyphen, but then you have the word self in there to deal with. We're not talking about you liberating you. We're talking about in the moment, things arise, and if you don't concretize them with crazy glue, if you don't conceptualize them, if you don't turn them into chain of discursive thinking, like the beads into a rosary with the string of memory and concept, they just arise and dissolve, just like bead, 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 moment, 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 no past, no future. No me, no history. You know, so much of the self and selfing as a verb is about memory. Self-clinging, self-congealing, and memory. Me and my miserable childhood. My story, my victimhood, and so on. In the moment, in the incandescent moment, the, the, the one sixty-four millionth of a, of a second, where is the story? Where is the history? And where is the future to worry about? There's no room for fear of death. There's no death in that. There's no birth. There's just is without the eye. There's just a kind of evanescent, what's the word? Phosphorescence of being. You with me? Not even is. I is. I am. You're just. <laughs> Thank you. So. Rangsha Rangdol is one of the main principles of Dzogchen, self-liberation, the inherent freedom of being by itself arising, by itself liberating, like an automatic door that opens and closes. You don't have to be pushing things away or pulling them towards you based on aversion and attraction. You with me? Attraction, greed, desire, aversion, aggression, anger. Just self-arising, self-liberating in every moment. Like the weather, like the clouds in the sky, the sky has room for it all. It doesn't discriminate or push away. Perhaps in, um, in, in, in the general spiritual world, we would understand this from the Taoist term, Wu Wei, that you find in, in the I Ching, the Tao Te Ching, Chang Tzu's writings, Wu Wei. Hard to translate, but it usually translates as non-action or non-striving. It doesn't mean not do anything. Remember, in action and in inaction, the sublime, what, what was the saying? Beyond action and beyond inaction, the sublime dharma is accomplished. So, wu-wei, not striving, not pushing the river is one of the sayings. Not doing, but being. Of course, you can do whatever needs to be done, but you're not compulsively doing it and re reproducing it all the time. Because compulsive, I have to do that, habit. We're free. If there's wind, there's waves. No wind, no waves. The, the ocean doesn't get bored if there's no wa wind for a few days. There's no waves. It's just happy to just, you know, never leave the bed. And it's not static. It's not frozen. It's happy. <laughs> Thus the natural state is considered delightful, blissful, and so on. So this is a principle of Dzogchen practice. Of course, if we went into the English language of it, we already have many 
words that we used, which are, you know, hard to define. But as a cluster, you can understand like spontaneous, flow, natural, authentic, organic, right? As opposed to compulsive, you know, what, habitual, addictive, repetitive, and so on which so easily leads to problem or boring or, you know, deeper ruts from repetition, etc. Kala Rinpoche's way of explaining this in Mahamudra was called Rangbab Sum, my late root guru Kala Rinpoche, uh, who just got married in Nepal, actually, to, to Choling Rinpoche's daughter. Kalim Tulku is in Nepal, married to Cholin Rinpoche's daughter in Bhutan now, I think. And he's about 20, I don't know, 2 or 5. The great Kalim Rinpoche used to explain the Rambab Sum, the three self-settlings, Rangbab. Like, let the, the body settle, like snow falling into a lake, and the mind settle, and the breath and energy settle. The wrong Bob Sum, the three self-settlings. Let things settle like snow falling into or dissolving into a lake, leaving no trace. It's a beautiful image of just relaxation or at ease. That pretty much sums it up. And here we have the great nine non-actions. I guess we have to talk about that too. Not really, because it just means of body, of speech, or breath, and energy, and third of heart-mind, just not doing positive. Remember, in Dzogchen meditation, we're talking about not in life, in action. In the view in meditation of Dzogchen, not praying for peace or, or giving charity, not positive and not negative and not neutral, like just doodling or, do, you know, just wasting time, just daydreaming. So if you, if you multiply three body, speech, and mind, by three, positive, negative, and neutral, you get the great nine non-actions that Kalim Che used to explain to tease out this rangbab sum, this, you know, what I call natural body, just natural body, like self-settling, let it settle and relax by itself, and natural breath and energy, not breath pumping, not breath holding, and energy flowing, just flow, and then the mind, natural, not trying to even still it. So if you wonder why there are all these lists, put yourself in our place in ancient times in the old world without computers, without advanced learning tools like light boards, without printing presses, long before Gutenberg, without tape recorders, without um, notebooks, without photocopy machines. Then people passed on knowledge by rhyme and by memorization, by mnemonic devices. So, good for memorizing, so they could remember. And that's how knowledge was passed along in those days, century after century. So lists or alphabetizing or other mnemonic devices like rhyme came in very handy. It's not that Buddha was an accountant, so he liked to kind of make everything into a list. Thank you for listening to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now Hour. We very much appreciate your support and hope you will continue by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash suryadas and link to the donate button or go to the amazon.com link for all of your purchases. Thank you.
Namaste. Tere siwa te jiyo.